Good morning. Turn to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. We're going to read chapter 13 from verse 16 or verse 17 to the end of the chapter, then all of chapter 14. It's a long reading, but it is all one story, which most of us are probably familiar with, the parting of the Red Sea, one of the, if not the greatest story in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 13. And continuing through the book of Exodus, we've seen that Israel, uh, the man Israel went down to Egypt. His children lived there and grew until they were put into slavery by Pharaoh, uh, who is represented as the Antichrist or the anti-God figure. And then God remembered his covenant or chose to act upon the covenant he had made to Abraham that he would make his people uh, great people. So he goes down to Egypt and begins to persuade Egypt to let his people go. And by persuade, I mean destroy the land of Egypt. All for the sake of his glory and keeping his promise. And eventually, after ten plagues, Pharaoh lets the people go. They leave, and they're out on the road, finally. I haven't quite left Egypt yet. And we come to this passage. In verse 17, it says, Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Near meaning about 150 miles or about two weeks' journey. Uh, although that was near, for God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea, besides Pi-Hiroth, before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted, up, lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of, the, of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod, and stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the heart of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh, and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels, so they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. That's quite a story. Uh, Charlton Heston didn't quite do it justice in his uh, Ten Commandments. But what we have here is a new act. So you have a play, you have different acts. Well, the first act was Israel in Egypt being oppressed and God bringing them out. Now we have the transition to new beginning. God is done persuading or working with Egypt, and he ends Egypt. And now Israel is transitioning into a new life, a new reality that doesn't include Egypt. This story is one of the pivots of the whole Bible. It's mentioned mentioned about 25 times in the Old Testament. This defined Israel. We only know who Israel is basically because they made it through the sea. Think about that. If they hadn't made it out of Egypt, there would be no Bible. 
The Bible was written after this. If they hadn't made it through, everyone would have been killed, and we wouldn't know anymore. So Israel exists because of a story. Also, this story connects the Old Testament and the New Testament. Have you ever wondered how to connect the two? This story shows us, and how the New Testament uses this story to show us the connection that God has throughout the whole Bible. The Bible is one story connected with a bunch of little stories. This is a little story that's connected to an even bigger story. So if you thought this was a big deal, and you should, it's just one of the little stories. And we're going to look at the, the, the true story of the Bible in Christ, but this is pointing us to that. This is not going to be a uh, traditionally practical sermon. Ten ways to have a better marriage, four ways to deal with depression. This sermon is going to say, look up at God. Live your life above everything. Now, that's a pretty tough thing to do, isn't it? Because everything is around you, and it drags you down. This isn't going to say, here's how you solve your problems. It's going to say, here's how you live above your problems. The Christians live in a world that the rest of the world doesn't exist, that doesn't understand. We live and we breathe and we move like them, but we're different. Why are we different? How can we react differently? How can we live differently with the same circumstances? This story shows us how. It says, look at God. So what we're going to see here is how great God is. And then that's going to trickle down into our life. So there's four things I want to show you from this story, and then four things from the New Testament that this story refers to. Four things are all about God. God is personal. God is powerful. God is mediated to us. And God is glorified. This is not a sermon about us, just like the Bible is not about us. This is a story about God. But once we see who God is, we change, and our life changes. So look at this passage. God saves Israel. That's the basic point of the passage. God saves Israel. They were going to be killed by the Egyptians. By the end of the story, no more Egyptians. Israel's free. How does he do it? Look back in the beginning, verse, chapter 13, verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. Then what? You see, being free from slavery, is that's not the end. You don't spend 100 years, 400 years in slavery, then now you're free, then everything's okay. Something then needs to happen to those people who've been freed. And so God frees them, then God leads them. It says God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, but in verse 18, so God led the people. God says, not only am I going to bring you out of Egypt, but I'm going to show you, and I'm going to lead you the rest of the way. And look how he did it. He didn't send messengers to them. And verse 21 says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give the light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night. God didn't just send them on their way. He didn't just send Moses to them. He was there with them physically. Now, this pillar of fire is God. He went before them as a pillar of fire, which, you remember how Exodus started? Moses is out walking around the desert. What does he see? A burning bush, a flame. 
He goes to the flame, and what is it? It's God's presence. Just a little bit, though. Just a little bush burning. Now we see more of God's presence, a pillar of fire. Who knows how big this was? 100 feet, 200 feet? Something that everyone could see, saying, there's God. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? That's what Pharaoh said. The Egyptians, the the Israelites said, there is the Lord. Not over us, oppressing us, but leading us. You see the kind of God that's saving Israel? Going before them during the day, giving them light by night. If you've ever had the power go out, maybe this week, uh, did you have trouble finding a flashlight after the lights went out? What if there were no flashlights? What if you're outside? What if you're on a trip in the desert? Nighttime is scary when you're traveling and you don't have electricity. So God says, I know it's scary. So I'll come be with you and I'll give you light. The God that killed the firstborn in Egypt is also this God. Physically present, leading, comforting. He doesn't send them to fill us to, to the land right away. So if you look at the uh, a map of Egypt, it's right in the Mediterranean Sea. The place they were going is just right up the coast. There was actually a road called the Ocean Way that would take you about two weeks to, tra- to travel. From where they were, they just go up to follow the coast and get there. The problem was the Philistines were there waiting to fight them. And God says, I'm not going to send you that way, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war. He says, I'm going to take care of you. I'll give you what you need. It's going to be tough, but you can handle it. And I won't take you in places you can't handle. So God is personal. He's with them. But when you need saving, you need more than just somebody with you. You need someone who can actually save you. So we see that God is powerful. He alone is powerful. So in this passage, only one person saves the Israelites, God. And it's very clear that only God can do it. See, Israel is a mess. These people are, they're kind of terrible people. Look in verse 10. Remember the story. They are slaves. They are being systematically, uh, if the pharaohs wanted to reduce the power of Israel, they did it by killing the firstborn, then giving them hard labor to reduce their power. In other words, working them to death. God frees them. Then here's what they say. The, the minute something goes wrong, this is only a few days later. This is the first problem they've encountered since God has freed them from slavery. And when Pharaoh drew near, they lifted up their eyes and they were afraid, which is re- understandable. An army is bearing down on them with, with chariots. These were state-of-the-art chariots. It was, a, it was one of the best armies in the world, if not the best army in the world. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Hear like that tone? It wasn't just, why have you brought us here to die? It's sort of the sarcasm. What, didn't have enough graves in Egypt? So you're going to bring us out here? Plenty of room to be buried? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we told you in Egypt? Saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. If you've been with us, I don't remember reading anything about that. It was more like, 
we're going to die here and we don't want to be slaves anymore. But he said, we would rather serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. God frees them from oppression, from genocide, from dehumanization. And the minute things look like they're going to go wrong, they said, we never wanted this in the first place. We wanted to be slaves. I know you've been doing all this stuff. For, we never wanted to be here in the first place. You made us do this. This is your fault. That's who God is going to save here. Not your choice people. Not your noble people. It's people who have been crushed. People who are broken. People who are faithless. What does God do? Well, he tells us what they did to let us know who they are. This isn't here for a reason. It's to say, Israel's not going to do anything. Even if they wanted to, they couldn't because they don't have the ability. They were slaves. They don't have weapons of war. They don't have training. But they don't even want to. They actually want to go back into slavery. What they're saying is if, if Pharaoh gives us an option, we'll go right back into slavery. Is, is that an option? Because we'll go right back. That's not an army that's going to save itself. No one's going to free them. They're not going to free themselves. So why does God free them? It says in verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you. Why? Why would he fight for them? Ungrateful, weak cowards. Accusing God of setting them up. They say it to Moses, but they really say it to God. You set us up. You brought us out here to die. But God says, be quiet. That's what Moses says to them. He basically says, be quiet. God's going to save you. Why is God going to save them? No reason for them. This is what we call grace. You're saved by grace. When you're a terrible person that no one wants to save, God saves you. Israel, they're terrible people. And God says, be quiet and let me save you. I'm going to save you. Just stop talking because you're making yourselves look bad. And he does by grace. Grace alone. God recorded their words to let everyone know how bad they were so that he could show how good he was and say the only reason is grace alone. And what does Israel have to do? He says, be still and see the salvation. Stop complaining and trust God. That's it. Faith alone. Not by any good works. Just believe that God's going to save you and watch. In verse 13, it says that. In verse 22, it says, So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. The waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Who went into the sea? All of them. Do you think they all had the same kind of faith? Tim Keller says that some of them were walking through it like, you watch these walls. We're going to walk through it, and it's going to get the guys behind us. But other ones were walking through like, just waiting. But who made it through the other side? All of them. I saw a uh, video of this bridge in China, I believe, on the side of a cliff. It's made out of glass, pure glass. And there's videos of people walking on it. And there's a few people who, because you can see straight down, it looks like you're just standing over nothing. They were so paralyzed that they could barely move. And so they would like slide one leg forward until they're doing a split. 
while holding onto the rail, and then they would drag the other one up and just hang it onto the rail, petrified, they could barely move. I bet some of the Israelites were like that. But you know what happens? They all make it through. God didn't say, have a lot of faith, trust me a lot, be confident in He said, just do it. Just trust me. Grain of mustard seed, fine. We'll wait for you. Because what does God do? He puts the cloud between them. Why? To give them time to get through. To get them, just, he said, everyone's going to make it through. I'll make sure. I'll make the wheels fall off the chariots. He said he bound the chariots. They couldn't drive forward. He's buying them time. He's saying, don't worry. You're slow. You'll be fine. That's called faith alone. Not good faith, not great faith, not strong faith. Any amount of faith. Because God's the one doing the saving, not the, not the Israelites being strong and confident. So they believe, in verse 31, it says, Thus Israel saw the great work which, was the, which the Lord had done. The Lord did the work. So the people feared the Lord and believed. God did the work, the people believed. And they made it through. But he doesn't just save them. He saves them completely. 100% victory. You see, when they left Egypt, it looked like total victory. They all got out. But Egypt was still there. Pharaoh was still there. Look in verse 27. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. In the end of verse 28, not so much as one of them remained. Not so much as one of them remained. You ever seen those movies where they leave one guy and he comes back? 30 years later, his kid comes back. God's like, nope, that's not going to happen. Not a single Egyptian is going to be left to bother you forever. And when you read the Bible, Egyptians, Egypt's never a problem again. They have a lot of problems, but Egypt is not one of them. God crushed Egypt. He said, I'm not just going to save you by getting you out of the land. I'm going to make sure no one follows you. I'm going to destroy your enemies. And so God saves them completely. But look what Moses' role is here. You see, God is personal, he's powerful, but he's also mediated. What's Moses' role here? Because it seems like God did everything by himself, but Moses has this interesting role of a go-between between Israel and God. And it's not always good. Look in verse 14. Uh, or in, they complain to Moses. Moses says, be still, verse 14, hold your peace. Verse 15, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? But it wasn't Moses crying out. It was the Israelites. Moses said to the Israelites, be quiet. But now God's saying to Moses, why are you complaining? Moses wasn't complaining. Why does he get rebuked? Because he stood for the people. He was Israel. Later in chapter 32, God says, I'm going to destroy Israel. And Moses stood and said, no, please don't do it. He stood for the people. Now, God had a plan and all that. But here, Moses gets blamed for what the Israelites did. But then it goes even further. Look at verse uh, 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Who split the Red Sea? God did, but here it says that Moses did something. See what Moses is doing here? He's acting for the people, and he's acting for God. 
And verse 25, 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand. Verse 27, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its full depth. Moses is controlling the sea. He's opening it for the people, and he's closing it on the Egyptians. It seems like Moses is acting the part of God here. And in a way, he is. All through the Old Testament, you see this. Priests, prophets, kings, Moses. Sometimes they're with the people, sometimes they're with God. That's how God works. Moses gets rebuked, but Moses also controls. But the big picture here, the reason this whole story exists is because God set it up. God's not saying, let's go, come on, I'll lead you out. Oh, no, look, the Egyptians are following. We're going to have to deal with them. He explicitly makes sure the Egyptians find them, catch them, and trap them. He didn't lead them, by the way, the Philistines. He led them by the sea. Then he says to them in in chapter 14, verse uh, 2, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn back, the word turn means turn back, and camp before the sea. So they're headed out. God says, stop, turn around, go back. Why? And then put your back up to the sea so you can't go anywhere else. Why did he do that? Because Pharaoh was going to go looking for them. And he's going to say, they're lost. Look, they just, they're going in circles. They went out, now they're coming back. Pharaoh says, this is a perfect opportunity. They're backed up against the ocean. They can't go anywhere. They're lost. Now I can get them. God made them do things that offered them up as a target. He baited Pharaoh. He baited him. He wanted this to happen. He wanted this confrontation. God wanted a confrontation with Pharaoh. Why? So that he could have this showdown and he could win. So that everyone would know that God doesn't just deal with things as they come. He goes and looks for a fight. He went looking for a fight with Pharaoh. He made sure there was going to be one. Pharaoh was an enemy. God says, fine, we'll fix that. You won't be an enemy when we're done. And if I have to bait you out here to get you here, I'll do that. So God sets this all up with one purpose. Verse 17, it says, And indeed, I will harden the hearts of the Pharaoh, of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, his horsemen. God says, I don't want anyone to think that they got out by accident. I want everyone to know who I am and who I am in relation to these people. And that is the warrior king. Here's a theme throughout the Old Testament of this warrior fighting for for, uh, Israel. This is what's happening here. God is the warrior, and warriors look for battles, honorable battles. God says, I'm going to set one up so that everyone will know who I am, and he does that. There's one main purpose, that's to glorify his name. Israel is only saved. Israel, Israel is created, is recreated, as it were, for one reason, to glorify God. The Egyptians were killed for one reason, to glorify God. Israel was not, they weren't good people. They were brought through the sea and made into a people so God would be glorified. That's the driving purpose through all of this. And we see this used later. Isaiah 43 is using this, the story in Exodus as a way to talk about how God works. It says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives. Israel gets exiled to Babylon. They get captured and taken away. They get put into slavery again, much later. God is speaking to them. He said, I'm going to go down to Babylon, and guess what I'm going to do in Babylon? He goes, let me remind you of a story. 
I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path through the mighty waters, the, the Red Sea he's referring to, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. God is saying, you're going into slavery again. But you remember the last time you were in slavery? You remember what I did? I'm going to do it again. The purpose of this story is to show who God is and how he works. And he kept on using that story over and over again. Peter N. says, The people struggle, Israel struggled, because they had not learned that God's purpose for bringing them out of Egypt is not simply to save them, but to maintain his covenant tie to all his people, past, present, and future. They still have not learned that their circumstances are not the final standard on which to view the work of God. They said, we're stuck here. They started complaining. They didn't understand what was happening. This, this passage in Isaiah referring backwards and forwards, God is in effect saying to his people, I've done it before, I'll do it again. We're in the same story. We're part of the same story. And what this passage is telling us is God did it before, and he did it again. So God saved Israel, great. But is he going to do it again? That's what the New Testament tells us. It says, yes, he did it again. And so this is where we tie Exodus into the New Testament. God doesn't just save Israel. He saves the world in the same way. The Bible is one big story with a bunch of little stories. This is one of the little stories. But it shows the pattern of how God saves. And he doesn't break that pattern. He explicitly uses it. So how does God save the world? Personally. Christ came down, was born of a woman, lived among us, suffered like us. Not just like us, suffered with us. You thought God in a pillar of fire was great. Now we've got God walking in our shoes. The incarnation is saying God is personally involved in your salvation. Better than an exodus, but in the same way. God with us. God as man. He was tempted like we are. So that now he can be a high priest who knows how we're tempted, who knows how we feel. But you say, well, he's not here anymore. Yes, he is. John says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When I'm gone, I'll send somebody to connect you with. I'll send you a comforter. You see, the same God who walked and led the Egyptians is still doing the same thing with us, except now it's better. A pillar of fire sounds great, but it doesn't tell you how to have a good marriage. It doesn't tell you how to make it through your problems. It doesn't tell you how to deal with depression. It doesn't tell you how to deal with finances. It doesn't tell you how to do any of that. It's just a pillar of fire. What we have now is God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and illuminated by the Spirit in us. Look how great the story of Exodus is and realize how small it is in comparison to what God is doing with us right now. Whatever your problem was, imagine a big pillar of fire just showed up. Distracted, aren't you? That's God with us in a way that we can't even understand. So God's with us personally, but God's with us powerfully. Just like the Israelites we're weak. We're selfish. We're petty. Aren't the, aren't the Israelites petty? 
Are there not enough graves in Egypt? Really, that's, that's your last words? Before you die, you want your last words to be kind of snarky? Yes, because it hasn't changed. Facebook hasn't created the problem. It just has shown everybody the problem. Everyone's a little snarky, short-tempered, and want to get that little edge word in, just like Israel. And when problems come, we're like Israel. We can't fix them. We not only can't fix them, we complain that God has given them to us. We complain about there even being a problem. We complain about everything. We get bitter. We get angry. Our life is not perfect. We're weak. We're under bondage. We're acting like we're under bondage. It's as if we're still controlled by the devil. As if everything's out, just our life is the worst. It was better like before. That's how we act. We need to be saved from our problems, and we're not going to do it any more than Israel could do it with them. God saves alone by grace. You don't earn God's approval. You don't do something to get noticed by God. You don't, God doesn't say, you do what you can, I'll do the rest. God says, you're not, everything you do is worthless. Stop doing things. It's worthless. Let me do everything. It's exactly what Moses said to them. Be quiet, stand still, and watch God save. Every time you open your mouth, it gets worse. Every time you try to make yourself look better or try to approve yourself to God, it looks worse. So be quiet, listen to God. Because what's God doing? He's fixing everything. He's saving us by grace. Colossians 1 says, And he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Conveyed. Passed through. You were on one side of the sea with your enemies. Now you're on the other side. He has conveyed us in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. All these words are saying you haven't done anything, but God's done a lot. God's conveyed you. God's brought you into the kingdom. God's given you his son. God loves you. God's redeemed you through his sacrifice, through his blood. God's forgiven all your sins, all your pettiness, all your selfishness. God's gotten rid of all of it. Why? By grace. Unmerited favor. What do we do? The same thing they did. Be quiet. Trust God. Stand still. Trust God. This is shown to us in, in Hebrews. It says that by faith, the children of Israel, Hebrews eleven twenty nine, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Why'd they pass through? Because they split it? Because they were fast? Because they're tricky? No, by faith. All they did was believe. Just a little bit. Just enough to walk through it. That's it. By faith. That's what we need to do. See, what we want to hear is, here's three steps to deal with depression. Here's four things you need to do to get your life under control. Here's seven quick steps to lose weight. Things you need to do to improve your life. God is saying, stop. Stand still. Let me save you. Stop trying to save yourself. Spurgeon said this, I dare say, Spurgeon's an old guy, he's back in the 1800s, so it's a little weird sounding. I dare say you will think it's a very easy thing to stand still, but it's one of the postures which a Christian soldier learns not without years of teaching. I find that marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. It is perhaps the first thing we learn in the drill of human armies, 
but is one of the most difficult things to learn under the captain of our salvation. Stand still and watch God save. That's hard. Just tell me what I need to do. Give me some practical steps where I can get myself out of this problem. No. Stand still. And believe. You see, we're like, okay, be strong in the faith. No. Don't add adjectives. Just believe. Faith alone. As a must, Jesus tried to explain it. As a mustard seed, it's the smallest seed they knew about. The smallest thing he could show them. Have that much, and you'll be fine. Don't take pride in how much faith you have. That's just a work. And again, God saves completely. He doesn't save half. He doesn't save part of the way and you do the rest. They, how were they saved? They were all on one side, then they were all on the other side. And there was no more Egypt. That was it. Total victory. They passed over. But what were they still saying on the other side? I wish we were back in Egypt. They say that later. They want to go back to Egypt. But they were free. There was, Egypt couldn't even handle them. They still want to go back. Here's a practical application. You're saved, many of you, most of you, I hope. But you still act like you're a slave. You're freed, but you act like a slave. Why? Because in your heart, you're bound. Christ has forgiven you. Christ has freed you. You've passed over. Why do you want to go back to Egypt? Because for so long you were a slave and it's, it's wormed its way into you. Your heart is corrupt. And it takes a long time for that to go away. That's what the rest of the Bible is about. But part of it is to say you will be saved and when you're saved, you're done. Egypt is gone. Keller says, when you feel that sort of guilt, that shame, that pride, all those things that come back, those are your former covenant masters coming back. Even though they're no longer your master, they come back to you and say, serve me or die. That's what Pharaoh was saying. He was coming after them saying, serve me or die. And God was like, what? What are you doing here? We'll fix this. But Israel didn't get that. Israel said, oh, no, we're going to die. I know God just did 10 plagues, and we all saw them, and then he made Egypt give us, give us all their stuff and let us go out, but now they're back. What's going to happen? God's, we're going to die out here. Don't we say that, though? Oh, man, God doesn't even know what's going on. God doesn't listen to me. God doesn't care. No one cares. What happened? Did Jesus come off the cross? Did the, did the Red Sea reverse itself? You see, when God saves, he saves completely. This is what baptism means. The Bible co connects baptism to the Red Sea. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now these things became our examples. Two groups of people went into the ocean. Only one came out. Moses' people came out. That was all that was left. Who came out? The people who went through the sea. They were baptized. They were immersed. They were covered by the sea. They came out the other side. They're covered. The sea was on the sides and the cloud was over top. Then they came out. Those were Moses' people. Everyone else was dead. 
We see that in our baptism. Galatians 3 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Romans 6 says, Now that you're baptized, you are free from slavery. You see, when you got baptized, you said, I don't have masters anymore. I only have Christ. Did you forget about your baptism? Does it not mean anything? If you're not baptized and you're an adult, you're saying, saying, I want to stay on this side for a little while. You're telling us you're a believer, but we don't see any results of it. Now, that's harsh, but that's what the Bible says. As many of you as were baptized were baptized into Christ. What about those who weren't baptized? He doesn't talk about them. The New Testament doesn't talk about Christians who are not baptized. Because how do we know who Christians are? How do we know who Israel was that came out on the other side? How do we know who Christians are? They were baptized. It's a symbol of passing from death to life. We symbolize that everything behind us is gone. Now we're on the other side and everything's new. That's why baptism is so powerful. God saves and baptism shows everybody what he did. But see, God is mediated. Moses was great, but there's a better than Moses. Hebrews says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Can you imagine Moses standing up there, stretching out his staff, and the sea just splits for miles? Can you imagine that figure, the image of that? If you've seen a movie, you might be able to see it. The power, the nobility, the glory of being able to split a sea open. But there's one greater than Moses. But just like Moses, he has to mediate. So Moses got blamed for the people complaining. But Christ is a true Moses, which he gets blamed for everything the people did. Everything. Christ became sin who knew no sin. Every time we complain, Christ took that. He perfectly identified with the people in all of our petty, nasty, sinful ways. Christ said, I'll be that. I'll take that on. But what happened in this story for the people who opposed God? They didn't make it out. They died. And Christ took our sin, and he got punished. You see, the whole story of Exodus is referring back to the creation story. In the creation story, God creates. God brings together. God puts order in the world. There was chaos. He brings order. Animals, everything has an order. There was the ocean. What does he do? He, he creates dry land. But in the Exodus story, he decreates. Frogs come out of the water. The Red Sea turns to blood. Flies are over. Everything's just decreased. It's, it's chaos. People are dying. Animals are dying. The storms are coming. The world is breaking because of sin. Egypt sins. God decreates to punish. Then you come to the, the Red Sea. In creation, God parts the waters, creates dry land. But when the Egyptians go through, what does God do? He closes the water over the dry land. He uncreates. He decreates the Egyptians. 
When Christ became sin for us, he was decreated. He was destroyed. That's what death is. Death is breaking the world. It's the undoing. It's destroying the foundations and everything falls after. So when God wanted to identify with us, he said, I'll be the Egyptians. I'll die. Who made it out the other side? All of those who were with Moses. You see, Christ didn't just die. He also rose. So he was killed so that then he could bring us through the sea. Moses is just a little story about some people who went through the middle of an ocean that was split and then the ocean killed a bunch of people. That's just a little story. We're talking about a man who took on the sin of everybody, was destroyed in a way that no one else was, and then came back. Saved the world. Created a new people. You want to get through the Red Sea? You better be with the true Moses. That's the only difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites. It wasn't their goodness. It wasn't their faithfulness. It wasn't anything except Israelites were with Moses, Egyptians weren't. And so when Moses closed the sea, he made sure all of his people were out. And everyone else died. You're in the middle of the ocean right now. You either get through with Jesus or you don't get out. You're either in Christ or you're in the sea. Christ died to redeem us out of that ocean. And when you trust him, he's already done all the work. It's like Jonah. Jonah's in the boat. He was a bad person. Calls the storm. The storm comes. What does Jonah say to the people? This storm's my fault. But if you throw me over... The storm will go away. What'd they do? Sounds like a good deal to me. Toss them overboard. The storm goes away. Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12? He said, a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus said, toss me over the boat and everything will be fine. Kill me and you'll be fine. That's the gospel. So when you've got problems, your problems are tiny. Your tiny little problems of sickness and death, tiny, compared to what Christ has done for us. But you can't see that until you see Christ. Granby says, in this in hymn he wrote, Well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. If you're in Christ, God doesn't know of any of your sins. They're gone. There's no more accuser. There's no more Egypt for those who are in Christ. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah. Wait a minute, Jesus is talking to Moses? What's his connection? Who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. You know what the word decease is there? In Greek, exodus. Jesus was talking to Moses about his exodus. He said, Moses, you were great. Good job. But let me tell you about what I'm going to do. Let me tell you about how I'm going to lead my people through. I'm going to get them through in a way you never knew. When you read Exodus, take this little tiny story and see the story that's saving you. And when you go out tomorrow and your life is terrible, go back to this story. Go back to the story of Jesus. And remember, everything in this passage was for one reason. God's glory. 
Israel's purpose is our purpose. You may be backed up to the Red Sea. It's okay. God will be glorified. You may die. Great. God will be glorified. You see, when you're in Christ, all your problems become small. You become obscure. You become a nobody. But you're okay with it because you're with God. And he's becoming greater. Motyer says, more than anything else, what bothers us when trouble comes is our loss of a sense of purpose. This story gives us that purpose back. Your purpose is to make God look great, no matter what happens. And how do you know you're going to make God look great? Because Jesus died and came back. Do you need any more than that? Do you need more self-help? Or do you just need to know that Christ died for your sins, rose again, And everything that's in your life right now is going to make God look great. If you don't trust Christ, you'll die in the ocean. But if you trust Christ, you will be raised up to heaven with him. Let's pray.